Hi everyone, you're here today with GV, um, at, with the Dr. GV Show, and we are joined today by Maeve O'Byrne, and I'm really honored to have you on the show, Maeve, because we've got a really exciting topic. I love always talking about the dark side of things, and so today, to, to bring empathy into it um, is going to be an absolutely amazing dialogue. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you for taking the time to be with our audience. You're very welcome. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. I, I've seen so many of your shows already. Oh, nice. Thank you. <laughs> so you know kind of the format's pretty informal. It's an informal conversation because I think that we need more raw, vulnerable, and real conversation today in leadership. And so that is the point of this show, is how do we look at the new paradigm of leadership going forward? So for the sake of our audience, Maeve, would you mind just giving our audience a little bit of your background and what you're passionate about? So um, I am the former CEO, founding CEO, and um, president of a Hospital Foundation here on Vancouver Island. Um, business background, before I got into nonprofit management, I was in uh, communications and HR. It was the time when we did all of sort of everything and anything. Um, I'm also a certified executive coach, a certified mentor coach, and I work with leaders around conflict and change. Hmm. And conflict and change sort of in our lives comes up. Um, sometimes we can anticipate it, but often it comes up without us uh, realizing it's brewing in the background. So I'm really interested in that. I am um, Irish by heritage, living, living in Canada right now, but was brought up in the Middle East and spent most of my childhood educated in the UK and in Europe. Oh, thanks. Just a little bit of a mixture in there. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And probably why, and I know this personally, that one of your areas of interest is diversity and inclusion. So that makes sense, given that background. It, it's a, incredibly important for me. I've worked a lot with the Indigenous community and also with um, the Arab, not necessarily the Arab community here, but in Europe as well. And so... Um, being of Irish heritage, I grew up in a time when um, pubs and restaurants in the UK would still have signs up that said, no blacks, no Irish. Oh, so from a very early age, I recognized um, challenges around my heritage and certainly around others and where they came from. So it's a topic that I think is, is um worth a lot of discussion because our own unconscious bias hmm. um, plays a lot into how we work and deal with people and how conflict arises. Yeah. Now, I know, Maeve, that uh, a concept of yours is that the, the relationship between the biases um, as well as diversity and inclusion, that there is a facet of it which is empathy. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so today I thought, you know, it'll be a really good dialogue to talk about not just empathy per se, because uh, as you are, are well aware as well, that the paradigm of leadership is in transition and will shift 
significantly post COVID. And so I want to make sure that we're talking about the right thing. So today, I was looking up some research on the word empathy. And funny enough, the word empathy shows up in the word, the early 1900s. But from the concept from a very German concept of feeling into a piece of art, which was fascinating. And then over the years, of course, you know, it's changed in, into the human being and, you know, the, the brain capacity, as well as uh, the other fascinating thing I learned was that there's two very strong trains of thought. One says that your DNA hereditarily makes you an empath makes you highly empathetic. So there is a very strong genetic tie to being an empath uh, or being empathetic, showing empathy. Um, and then the other train of thought says it's a skill that can be learned. So when you think of this new paradigm of leadership and empathy as a, as a component of that, what are your thoughts on empathy? Um, I think there's, a, there's, there's the mix up if you like between empathy and bias because bias is um often even unconscious bias is formed when during that nature nurture period of our, our life sort of as we grow up we absorb bias through unconsciously through um parents teachers the environment in which in which we're we're in at the same time, I think empathy can be learned. Um, some of us are born with empath empathic tendencies, um, but but others I uh, have to learn that if they're able. And and the two, unconscious bias and empathy, I think are linked quite intrinsically without us really realizing it because of course there are two types of empathy there's the emotional empathy which is um really the yearning not only to understand but also to feel people's pain mm -hmm. and then there's cognitive empathy which is the desire to understand mm -hmm. other people's um emotions and feelings mm -hmm. and we're currently taught that empathy is a great trait in leadership. Mm -hmm. However, research has shown that it can unearth our bias as well. Oh. Um, yes, so it can cause group mindset and it actually can cause us to create problems um, within teams, within organizations without us realizing it. Interesting. Um, because I have thought of myself as an empath most of my life. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you from personal experience that um, it is a daunting task. It is tiring. Um, it is, <clears throat> for lack of a better word, emotionally draining mm -hmm. at times um, because you're always trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes. As you said, the difference between cognitive and emotional, I feel sometimes that I do the emotional part innately, but then I'm also trying to couple it with the cognitive part. And I feel that I often take on people's feelings and take on how they're feeling, and then often find myself going to bat for their feelings rather than my own feelings. So is that common? 
Yes, it is. And that's the dangerous part because um, one of the things we do is we, uh, we, we sort of tend to go towards people who are most like us. Okay. We, um, we surround ourselves. It's, it's human nature. It's easier to connect with somebody who has a similar education, maybe even similar um, background, race, etc. And in doing so, our um, empathic tendencies uh, focus there mm-hmm. to the detriment of knowing what other people who aren't so similar to us are feeling and sensing. Mm. And so there's that, there's that um, feeling within groups that grows that, well, she's, she's favoring him or her or whomever mm. over us. And it's because of who we are. Mm. We're a different race, we're a different, um, have a different background or something. You know, we, all, we all create our own stories. And and so when we sort of take on the pain and go for bat, as you say, for um, people, we often do it without sort of reflecting on the whole picture. Mm-hmm. So we look at, well, this person, I, I need to support them. And sometimes we do it without recognizing that um, we're forgetting to look at that picture and to understand all of the um, the players oh. within there, um, it's exhausting, as you say, and it's detrimental sometimes to people's health mm-hmm. because, it's, as you say, it's exhausting, it's impractical, mm-hmm. and it can actually cause burnout in leaders. Indeed, and I think coupled with the uh, unconscious biases is also a load of assumptions because I find that I think I know how somebody is feeling. I think I'm in their shoes and I, but I'm really processing it only with my own experience and background and triggers. And yet I can project very easily. Right? Exactly. So it clouds your judgment. Indeed. And, and you and I have had this conversation before. I truly believe that nobody is neutral. Mm-hmm. We come, even though we try and clear our mind of anything, we come to every situation with that background. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, taking on uh, assumptions, um, not only from what we've learned about that individual or those individuals, but also from our own experiences, mm-hmm. often overload that judgment. And um, even our ethical judgment can be eroded in those situations. So one of the things that I've learned or I've come to think about more is compassion rather than empathy. Oh, tell me more about that. Well, compassion does um, include empathy, mm-hmm. but it can create emotional distancing from another person. So um, using compassion, we can be more um, neutral in our observations. We can have sympathy. We can have empathy. But we're distancing from getting involved in that pain. Mm-hmm. And so it can make us more resilient and improve not only our overwhelm or uh, overwhelm all 
well-being, but also it can improve how we we view situations and make us less judgmental and, and um, more observant. Oh, interesting. Now, maybe similar to empathy, compassion, do I come innately built with it or is it something that I can learn? Again, I, I believe it's something we can learn. Hmm. Um, you know, empathy is inbuilt in some people and it's learned through others. Compassion, I think we can all learn compassion hmm. because it, it, it does... Um, we we can sort of feel for others. We can um, sympathize with them as well. So it brings in both of those empathy, sympathy. It brings in both of those pieces. Um, we can, okay, so let me take one step back because there are people who cannot feel either empathy or compassion. They're few and far between, but that part of their brain or the syntax is, is missing. But for most people, we can feel compassion for people in situations. Mm -hmm. And it's important for us to understand um, not just where that, uh, where that line is drawn between compassion and empathy, but also uh, how to use compassion um, appropriately without getting drawn in. Talk to me about the line. Where does the line get drawn between empathy and compassion? Well, I think the, the line gets drawn when you don't reflect sufficiently, when you don't start questioning yourself about um, the emotions you're feeling every time this person comes into your circle or every time you think about that person. If Certainly if you um, get worked up or you have an overwhelming sense of whether it's grief or pain or whatever, then you've got to start taking a step back and really start questioning yourself. Oh. What is it I'm feeling for this person? And is this right for me as a leader? Should I be sort of really reflecting on where I'm going with this, this feeling uh, and where I'm going perhaps in, as you say, pushing their agenda? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One could also say that all those things that you talked about could be love. Like, you know, as you're saying that, I think, I know that love is a word that's not very, uh, not used as much as I would like in the workplace. <laughs> um, but all of those things that you said, could they not be, be perceived as me just loving the team member or loving my colleague enough to feel those feelings and support them? It could be love. However, I think it's more. Um, it's when love turns into almost a, um, not parade, but almost into a crusade for that individual. Ah, uh, understood. understood. Yeah. So yeah. if I take on their fight, as I said earlier. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Okay, understood, understood. So let's rewind here for a moment, because what's still resting in my heart is this unconscious biases. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about um, where do they come from? How do I know they're there? Because I and it's very, you, you're going to laugh at this, because last year, 
I experienced my unconscious bias and it was quite funny. So um, our HVAC unit, our heating and air conditioning unit went kaput and I was looking for somebody to fix the HVAC unit. I had a couple people come in and you know, they, they weren't able to fix it. Then this one company said, yeah, no, we're sending in our best technician and you know, we'll have it running in 24 hours. So I go and open the door and there's a female <laughs> the door. And the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, oh, you're a female. And then I stopped and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe I just said that. And she looked at me and she, and you know, she made a joke of it and she said, well, yeah, when I took a bath this morning, I was female and <laughs> you know, but it was very fascinating that even after all of the work, I do and all of the situations I've been in, I can, I've experienced that unconscious bias, bias, even within just opening the door to an HVAC technician. Yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? And it's um, important for us to recognize our biases. We often cannot change them because they're so ingrained in us, but if we were aware of them, then we can work um, against them. I mean, I have biases, I know, um, and I work very hard to, to ensure that if I'm in a situation where I know that's going to play a part, that I sort of step away, reflect before I get involved, and then, um, then jump in. But our, our biases, particularly the unconscious ones, they come from our social influences, particularly as we were growing up, um, our own personal experience as well. So if you've had an experience um, in, in your lifetime, um, whether it's, you know, sort of a female coming in and making a, a bad job of something or, you know, sort of some other racial biases can come from personal experiences. Um, and it's also, there's a word called, I think it's heuristics, mm -hmm. which is the intuition or common sense based on what we think we know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you get into an argument with somebody and they said, well, how do you know that? I just do. I know it. I know it. You know, that, that's, that's really sort of um, our brains categorize people um, very quickly and it, it's really for expedient um decision making hmm. so you know particularly when we have bias against people we sit, we tend to group them rather than see them as individuals so the group so the the um your hbat person those are always male period that was your thinking yeah and then seeing somebody there uh, so, you know, how we think and how we actually behave is a correlation. Um, we also have stereotypes and attitudes. And in fact, you know, here we go. Sort of last night, the debate, there was a stereotype of a female uh, black leader. Uh, and, and, and it was really interesting to watch that, to, to see how conscious that lady was of the stereotype of a woman leader. 
you know, uh, particularly in terms of being aggressive as opposed to assertive, etc. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we, we tend to put people in groups. Um, so, for example, another example is we tend to look at old people as warm, um, nice, but maybe not that very competent. Oh, sure. um, and yet, you know, you, you look at people like Warren Buffett in his 80s, nobody would say, yes, he's warm, but obviously at some stages he's not. Competent? I think so. So, um, you know, we, we often would look at rich people and say, yeah. They're competent, but most rich people are very nice. Mm -hmm. This is the stereotype people have, and therefore um, their biases stem from them. Yeah. It, you know, made this everything, whether it's stereotypes and it's uh, biases and assumptions, it makes me feel like, will I ever get it right? Like, it just feels like this place of, there's so many, like, we naturally, oh, not naturally, given the situations that have occurred over the last little while, I find as humans, we already are walking around on eggshells. I can't say this, I can't do this, I have to be careful of this. And, and there's just so much to take into consideration. And now there's another layer that you're exposing of my biases, my assumptions, my, you know, all of those things that innately sit in me. And I sit back and think, you know, am I going to innately always just piss people off? Like, you know, is that what's going to happen? Because real, I mean, seriously, if we are teaching, this program, this show is about teaching leaders about self-governance, right? Mm. It's all about self-awareness is how do we build our repertoire of self-awareness? So, and everything that your expertise brings to the table in relation to the biases, in relation to the assumptions, in relation to all those things, is it okay to assume that a leader is pretty screwed right now? Um, no. <laughs> Tell me more about that. So I think, you know, what we, what we have to do, there is um, a book called Blind Spots, and I cannot remember those people's, the, the um, writer's names, author's names. But within that, they talk about good people with good intentions making bad mistakes. So, for example, um, I did a presentation on uh, unconscious bias uh, seems longer, but it was actually only a year ago. And for that, I did some interviews of Indigenous leaders, with Indigenous leaders. And one of them talked about um, people saying to her that she didn't look Indigenous. Oh, interesting. And they were trying to compliment her, or they thought they were complimenting her. Okay. Um, when, in fact, she looked at it, they were ignoring and negating the whole history that she held and, and her whole history and, and fight towards equality, et cetera. So it's really interesting in, in terms of leadership. Sometimes we do sort of put our feet into our mouth. The, the, the real um, uh, key to that is to um, admit we make mistakes. Be ready to say, I'm sorry, that was a dumb remark. Mm 
and to um, to invite our colleagues, um, people who report to us, to hold us accountable. Right. I think it's really important. Um, you know, unconscious bias, often we're unaware of our biases, and it's only when we do put our feet into our mouth that somebody will say, no, I don't like that, or that's wrong. And it's it's giving our um, our people permission to hold us accountable and to speak out in those areas, particularly in business, I think, because that helps a leader grow in ways that you cannot perhaps measure. Yeah. Um, they grow in uh, in how their their teams regard them. Yeah. Um, it's it's really um, interesting when you when you talk to people who have experienced bias yeah and quite frankly that's probably every woman leader out there and they can tell when somebody is unconsciously um calling them out and when it's when it's conscious there is a difference and you can tell and you know sort of sitting with your team and saying we have to do better I have to do better, yeah. I think, is the best way to grow yeah. and to in, um, have that trust in your group. Yeah. So, yeah, as, as, as leaders, as individuals in a community that is becoming more open, that's becoming, I'd like to say, more human, worldly human, um, for me, that is the best way to, um, to learn and grow. Yeah. Let's go back to the word apology, mm. because I find that the word apology, uh, some leaders believe the apology is a sign of weakness. Of course, yes. Right? And so can you walk me through, is, is an apology a part of empathy? Yes, I think so. I think it's... It's first recognizing that we made a mistake. And I think a true apology, and I hate the word authentic, but an authentic apology is courageous. Mm -hmm. And so admitting we made the mistake, calling it out and saying, I said this and I, I shouldn't, I don't know where, you know, often it's, I don't know where that came from. And I'm sure I've said that to you on occasion. Um, is is actually, I think, a strength in leaders. Mm. It has to be authentic. People recognize when it is authentic, mm. and I think it is um, also as when you apologize, how you also can invite or ask for support in doing better in learning. Mm. So I think that that's the key. You don't just apologize, you invite, um, you ask for forgiveness, but you also ask for um, support or help in doing better down the road. Maeve, can you give me an example of something like that? Like something you've experienced where you've had something like that show up and then the leader apologize and ask for support? Let me think about this. <laughs> yeah, because I, I find that sometimes when we give real examples, 
um, people connect with the concept. Like, for example, when you say that to me, I have difficulty understanding what, so I can say, you know what, guys, I, I screwed up here. I apologize. And I'm asking for your support going forward to be better. So where my uh, gap is, how will my team support me? Like, what am I asking of the team? Am I saying to my team, you know, red flag something when I'm saying something wrong? Or like, what is it that the team is going to support me with? So, so if it's a bias in particular, if, you know, um, I ignore, you know, you're a woman on the team. So maybe you've got a, a female leadership team and you've got one man or two men. Okay. Let's, let's turn the tables here. And your tendency is always to go to three or four strong people whose voices are the loudest. And finally, somebody says, you know, we also have an opinion. We need to be allowed to have that. Okay. So it's, it's, Looking back and saying, yeah, I really have gone to that side of the table, to these people who make the most noise or to all of the women and ignore the men. And first of all, admitting, gosh, yes, now I look back, that's what I've done. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say gosh, that's sort of my language. But um, and also, but, and then saying, I need you to um, hold me accountable. I need you to, as you say, either red flag me or call me out and say, mm-hmm. yeah, no, yeah, keep forgetting that we're here. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a very mild piece. You know, when we're looking at things like racial bias or um, even educational bias. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we, we need to be called out just because I don't have a PhD or a uh, master's or whatever doesn't mean that I'm not smart. And so, you know, you often find that um, when I work with upcoming leaders, that's their one worry is that um, they see other people moving ahead of them and they feel that they've been slighted or the reason that they're not moving as fast is that they don't have that degree, although their performance is as good as or better than some of their interesting. Uh, colleagues. Yeah. Very interesting. So let's, let's shift gears here into the dark side. Of the okay. Can I just make, I just thought of another piece on that. Just okay. I'll interrupt you and I'll just, so going, going back, in order for that to happen, for colleagues um, or subordinates to call you out, there has to be trust, which is really important. So as a leader, you have to um, work on um, building trust with, um, with your colleagues and with your teams. Yes. Mm-hmm. And now... You know, before we die, of course, it just opens up a different dialogue, right? That in order to build trust, I have to be empathetic or compassionate in order to build that trust, right? Because if I don't, and it's not even just trust for me, I think it's trust of intention. You know, it's, it's not just even a surface trust, but as a leader, if I'm going to be that vulnerable and say, you know, I screwed up, I apologize, I need your support and help in making, you know, doing this better, 
I have to know that my team's not going to perceive me as a crappy leader, as though the leader doesn't know what they're doing, and she's asking us for support now, right? Right. Just imagine the water cooler meeting, you know, the water cooler dialogue around that. If, you know, if there's no trust, if I haven't built that kind of a team, or I have, you know, a little bit of conflict with people or something like that, could you imagine the water cooler dialogue that would occur? Right. Oh my goodness, yes, yeah. And, and actually, it's really interesting. I do 360 debriefs with lead, senior leaders. And I had this conversation the other day with one about building trust. And one way to build trust is to be, um, to be a bit more open about who you are. Don't just, and, and as women, we think, oh, you know, uh, my male counterparts, they're all about data research, sort of measurement, et cetera. And we, we tend to move away from our natural tendency to be much more open about who we are, mm-hmm. about who we are as people. And yet building trust means that we have to be vulnerable in that way. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because the senior leader was male and I was asking him from the response to his 360 to start being a bit more open. And it was very interesting. His response was total discomfort. Of course, yeah. Total discomfort. And I said, you know, this, look at those remarks on your 360. They like you. However, they really need to know you better because all you're giving them is stories about the data and research. They need stories about you. Well, it humanizes the leader, right? Exactly. When you tell me that, oh, you know, this weekend you went sailing or something like that, I then feel that you're a human being. If you tell me about something that, you know, you screwed up early, you know, early days or something like that, quite often with my team, when, when they tell me something and they say, oh, GB, you know, I really screwed up here, I often will share a story about my past in which I screwed up in a similar way and how it got fixed and how I worked through it. Because I think that humanizing part of leadership um, is needed, right? It's not about the suit that you're wearing. It's not about the alphabet soup behind your name. It's not about just the data and the metrics and the performance indicators and profit margins and and revenue anymore because people really want to see the human being. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And in order to be that human being, there are elements within your safe zone that we have to be able to share from a vulnerability perspective. Oh, very much so. I think it's really important to have that to, um, and as you say, to share stories and to share stories of triumph, how you, um, how you work through it. Mm. That's also really, really important. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Is being vulnerable more important or being more compassionate? What if a leader can only pick one? Or, <laughs> or does one make the other? I think I think the latter. I think one does make the other. Mm. Um, you know, you can be, you can talk about yourself. You can talk about who you are and experiences in your life in two ways. You can talk about it as a learning, as a demonstration of um, your true self, 
or you can talk about it in a way because there are leaders who talk about it in a way that are boastful and therefore um, show the divide between the leader and others. And it's really important to understand sort of um, the difference between the two because we all know leaders who sort of um, talk about themselves in a way that puts themselves on that pedestal, if you like. So it's, it's, I think you can be true, you can talk about yourself and you can be compassionate. So I think it's that latter piece that you said. Yeah. You know, I'm noticing something in this conversation. I'm noticing that we're talking about words like empathy, compassion, trust, vulnerability, which is interesting, right? Like the correlation between all of them is interesting. But those in the past are generally not words that come up in leadership or in management. Like if we think decades back where the concept of leadership didn't even exist and it was a very management style, um, those types of words were very rarely used in relation to a leader. So what is the thread here, Maeve? Like there's a thread that runs through a different type of leadership right now. What do you think that thread is? I think the thread has been, um, as people have learned what works, what doesn't work, as research demonstrates how people think and feel, the thread is, how can we do better? How can we do better as leaders? So, you know, hierarchical organizations that go just on results demonstrate that there is um, a much greater turnover of people. Um, the performance of those who are within the organization um, is much lower. And, and organizations are saying, how can we change this? How can we get a higher performance? How can we retain really good staff? So I think in, in many ways, it's coming from organizations and large companies. Um, and in other ways, it's coming from research about um, the mental health crisis that we have around the world of burnout in, you know the the burnout rate of many good leaders you know the dropout rate um the and and just people themselves we're all asking how can we do better and um you know even before covid when people had no time to reflect there was still that conversation going on mm. and um you know we talk about daniel goldman uh and the emotional intelligence but even before goldman there was a lot of research mm. that was going on before that yeah yeah so i think this thread has been really how can we do better mm. and as women coming into the workplace in the 60s 70s 80s and they're on um as people examine the organizations, particularly those of strong, um, uh, strong women, yeah. what's the difference? I mean, you can do a Margaret Thatcher type role, which is really based on the male hierarchical uh, 60s person, oh. or you can, I'm just trying to think, you know, you could, <laughs> Gloria Steinem comes to mind, um, but you can look at um, the role of women, particularly today, and there are a lot of women leaders in non-traditional 
uh, sectors that are coming to the fore. And they're coming because they have demonstrated skills in these areas. Yeah. So I think it's it's a mixture of stuff. Maeve, who's the leader today that you admire the most? Oh, everybody's going to talk about uh, Jacinda in New Zealand, mm-hmm. who has that sort of emotional, um, uh, emp- the empathic, the compassionate. And I think there's compassion. Uh, it's empathy, but it's sympathy and everything else wound up. Um, actually, you know, I also really admire Angel Merkel in Germany. Oh, yeah. Totally different style, and yet does have the compassion, um, you know, an engineer from Eastern Europe coming to um, the West when the wall came down. And so those two women, I think, are, are incredibly different and yet have very similar traits. Yeah, I think um, courage and boldness, I think, are traits you know that are similar the 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 acting out of the courage and boldness is different the scenarios are different but when i think about them i think that uh, what threads them together is the ability to make courageous decisions that are not common Mm -hmm. you know that uh, and to be able to stand in that boldness of that decision to say you know that i'm making something I'm standing behind what I think and feel in a way that is not common to people. Exactly, exactly. And they have demonstrated great compassion in different ways. Um, yeah, yeah. That boldness tells us. Yes, exactly. Right? Not just about showing compassion, but they have results to be able to prove that that type of leadership style uh, works and works quite well. Very well. Yeah, very much so. Yes. Let's, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the the darker side of empathy because I want people uh, by the end of the show to really understand how does that dark side of empathy show up? Um, It shows up when we um, really how can I say, identify when we we take on the load of someone else, um, whether it's uh, an employee, a family member, um, somebody, we, we take on their fight without really understanding what we're doing. We just feel their pain. And, and, and in fact, when we do that, we actually often create division. If somebody is saying to you, are you sure you want to take on this fight? Do you understand what you're doing? And you're not willing to discuss the issue when you're not willing to um, allow other voices to come in and and, uh, talk about the issue. No, this is right. I, I... they're there this is wrong they shouldn't be put through this blah, blah, blah. then you know you have a problem and that's the dark side you take on their their pain their fight for them mm. without listening to um others or without spending a lot of time reflecting you know it's it's part of our brain um 
that sort of has that human connection. Mm. Um, so it's, it's different from compassion, but it, it really can, um, in some ways it's often compulsive. You know, um, you, you suddenly go, oh, yeah, I can connect with that. And you take it on without too much thought. Um, and, and so it's, um, so it goes back to that un unconscious piece of our brain. And um, so we're not as aware and maybe we don't dig in as much to the um, decisions we're making. Hmm. So it, it seems like it impacts your ability to make decisions, your ability to remain focused, um, and your ability to remain neutral. Uh, so yeah, I hear you because the, when I think of myself in my earlier leadership days, I could say yes to all of the above, right? That you, you lose that place of neutrality. Um, and every, and I loved what you said earlier about the relationship of how it exposes biases, mm. right? And so that is really important as well for, for leaders to understand what are those unconscious biases that may push them towards empathy or pull them away from empathy. Yes. Right? Because it could be both. Somebody like me who, you know, had a fear now of being empathetic, too empathetic, because I was feeling the exhaustion, the fatigue and all that stuff. Then, you know, do I step back? And do I step back too much? Because the pendulum goes both ways, right? Right. Exactly. And, and, and of course, it does lead to burnout in a leader who spends most of their time sort of trying to be on the right side, if you like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. The right, because I heard, I was uh, reading a synopsis of uh, the dark side of empathy, and there was another one against empathy. So there was a couple right. books written on, and it was interesting to hear the opposite side of it. On you know, I was reading an article on on psychology today about somebody who said, actually, you know, that's not right because if we tell people to not be empathetic, um, which is the indication that she got from the books, that people are going to not be compassionate either. That they're just going to back off, and the pendulum is going to swing the other way, having greater consequences than the dark side of, of empathy. Empathy, yes. So it's really being conscious about um, your feelings, about how you take on um, causes, if you like. You yeah. know, so if somebody comes to you, somebody who's close, whether you work with them or otherwise, um, you like them, you have uh sort of there are a lot of things that you have in common and they come to you with maybe a, a complaint uh -huh. it's it's recognizing how you deal with that uh mentally sort of do you immediately jump on their side or do you sit down and think about the issue that they're talking about um what they're telling you and mm -hmm. go and investigate it further. Um, mm -hmm. Empathy often stops that second piece. Mm -hmm. And often, you know, you take it on and you that well, that's not right. We need to do something. And you immediately jump into doing something without actually seeing the full picture. You know, um, I've, 
been waiting for my moment to make the connection of empathy to diversity and inclusion. And I just thought of something as you were sharing that, that uh, many years back, I was working in a government facility and a part of the, if you have a death of a uh, immediate family member, the, uh, the, the leave process is I think two or three days or something like that, right. generally. And yeah. so in the uh, Indian community, quite often our mourning and grieving rituals are a week. Yes. So I remember, uh, you know, trying to get that leave and I was asked that I could not take that leave because according to the guidelines, not taking into consideration diversity, not taking into consideration, you know, that there's a cultural difference, etc. I was repetitively shown the guidelines mm -hmm. and the policies. Yeah. Uh, so I literally had to take an unpaid leave of absence uh, for the, the extra days that I was taking. But it's interesting because empathy slash compassion, any one of those, had the leader shown that, I wouldn't have had multiple conversations about being respected for diversity. Yes. You know, like if that compassion had shown up up front, the conversation would have gone something like, GB, we are really sorry for your loss. You know, the HR policies are such that it's two to three days. The option here is for you to take a leave of absence for these days. Right in the first conversation. Yes. Passionate. Yes. So to take, you know, six or seven emails back and forth at the time that I'm grieving and mourning this very young death in the family um, wasn't inclusive yes. of the diversity. And yet it started with empathy slash compassion. Exactly. And I bet you felt resentment. Absolutely, to this day. Otherwise, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it, it, it yeah. to you. Yeah, yes. yes. I, and that, I, felt I, that I was not understood. I felt that I wasn't respected. I felt that in the worst time of my life, I was going back and forth. And finally, made what triggered this was I quit. Mm -hmm. I yeah. was like, that's it. I, I'll resign. Like this is just nonsense. And then I get an email back saying, oh, well, you could take a leave of absence and yada, yada, yada. But yeah, so the lack of empathy and compassion, you know, and then the biases, you know, that diver and then, of course, the respect of diversity and inclusion. So I can see the thread now. Yes, yes. And culturally, that remains very much the same today. Yeah. You know, whether it's the Indian community, the indigenous community, the Jewish community, Muslim community, those, and, and you know, I, granted, it's very difficult for organizations to um, be able to sort of say, yes, we can do this for this, and, because once you do it for one or one culture, you have to do it for the other. However, you can bring compassion into the conversation and um you you help each of those cultures each of mm. those cultural needs mm. and, and you can you can do it in a way that nobody uh feels resentment and nobody sort mm. of holds on to that and and 
it's a healing particularly for somebody you know for you having that resentment mm -hmm. is something that until that organization recognizes it maybe apologizes to you that hasn't healed of course it's a terrible thing for organizations when they have and and that again is a direct correlation to productivity you know they don't respect me and my culture so why should i work hard for them and I ended up leaving that organization within six months of returning to work because I could not work with that leader. I could not work with those policies that were that rigid in which, um, and especially somebody who's an exceptional performer. Like if you have somebody that's high performance, has worked with the organization for eight years, and then I, as a leader myself, was put in that predicament with somebody that reported to me. And so I said one simple sentence to that person and I said, you take the time that you need, you let me know when you're back, when you want to be back at work, and we will work everything else out. Yeah. And then when she, and I knew what kind of an employee she was, I knew that she worked 120% all the time. Right. When she came back, she would be working 140%. I was not worried. So sometimes you have to look at the whole picture of the team member or the employee rather than just that one thing. Exactly. And that was compassion. It, it, so it included empathy and sympathy for mm -hmm. that, that employee. Yeah. So maybe in closing, um, the question I ask every single person that's on the show is that 7.5 billion people are listening to Maeve right now. What does Maeve want to communicate to those people? Think about who you are in this world. Think about what people want to, what you want people to say about you when you die what is that legacy that impact you want to leave on the world beautiful thank you Maybe thank you so much for your time i do look forward to us having these kinds of conversations into the future um because as happens with every single guest there's so many topics that we touch on <laughs> and it feels like there's outstanding conversations on compassion and trust and vulnerability because each one of those are deeper dive conversations so i trust and hope that you're able to at some point in the future have this conversation again about a different topic i look forward to it Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I look forward to the next show um, that we'll be bringing for you as well next week. So stay tuned to the Dr. Judy Dr. show, and we will be in touch. Mm -hmm.